Hi, Creepsters. I'm Barry Marino. And I'm Philip Landry. And this is a special bonus episode of Open Shutters. just finished a uh, we want to welcome all y'all to our very very first well actually our second if you count the the bloodbath turn yeah that was because but that didn't start off as a bonus episode these are bonus episodes that are for our patron listeners so if you listen to this you're already a member but i want you to go tell all your friends about this because you get some really really great gifts especially if you join the Antoinette, not the Antoinette Frank, that's a low one. No, no, the Madame Laurie. The Madame Laurie tier. Tier, I couldn't, think, couldn't get it's that right. word. I like to own stuff when I mess up. It, it makes just makes you seem more human than trying to edit it and sound perfect. Oh, yeah. So anyway, and this is the first one, a bonus episode that we're doing specifically for our Patron patrons. And uh, the, tonight, we're in the middle of our That's Insane asylums series so this is a bonus episode from that series that we are calling disassociative identity disorder and otherwise known as multiple back in the day pers- multiple personalities multiple personality disorder i just like when it was more multiple i'm like why is this whole name change? i hope you get into that, that well means- it's got because i'll explain that i'm gonna explain that a little bit later but multiple personality got disorder that name got a bad rap Due to some things that people were doing and using that disorder to their advantage. And I'm going to talk more about that. Oh, in a okay. But first of all, we want you to know with multiple uh, disassociative di- uh, identity disorder is. And it's, um, it's when a person has two or more distinctive personalities. And um, it, it wasn't, it, it first came to light. What it is is that some trauma in your childhood makes your your mind split and you become another person because sometimes the pain of some t- abuse or different types of things happening to you becomes so uh, so unbearable. Your bo- your mind as, actually as a you know a, a way to protect you splits it off and has it happen to somebody else. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, and. Um, it first came to prominence in the 1940s. And uh, the first time we have known, anyone has, uh, first time anyone had, the first documented story was a woman named Chris Costner Seasbor. And um, she was a woman who supposedly had three personalities. And um, in, the, in the book was written called The Three Faces of Eve, which was later made into a movie star, Joanne Woodward. Hmm. It was more about Joanne Woodward later, too. 
And um, in the film, the woman has three different types of distinct personalities. There's Eve White, who was really timid and mousy. And then there was Eve Black, who was a wild girl. And in the end, the three of them were, you know, what did they call it? When they all put together the happy ending, you know, they were, they were um, unified, I guess you could say. Yeah. Into Cold one person unified. that they called Jane. Well, you want to hear a funny story about that? I remember when that oh. movie came on TV. Oh, no. <laughs> this is something. This is really got, something. Okay, come all on. Right, you want to hear 11-year-old boys, you know? Oh, Lord. I was like in the fifth or sixth grade. I forget what it was, but I think it was about 10 or 11. I was about 11 years old. And uh, I asked one, I, the movie had come on TV. And my mom watched it, and I didn't really understand it. So I asked one of my friends in school the next day, come on a Sunday night. And that Monday, I said, well, the friends are going to do it. He said, yeah, did you see the Three Faces of Evil? And I said, yeah. I said, well, um, I don't understand what it is. What, are, what was the difference between these three women? He says, well, there was Eve Black, who was so wild that she would show her pussy to any man around. <laughs> He says, and then there was Eve White, who was so timid that she wouldn't even show her pussy to her husband. <laughs> and, he says, and then they kind of got unified, and they became Jane, and she just showed her pussy to her husband and nobody else. Wow. That's how it was explained to me by a 12-year-old boy when I was 11. Out of the mouth of babes. I was 11. Well, you know, that's pubescent boys, you know? Yes. That's the first, all they think about is things of sex. So he, was, he, he sexualized her to a point. To where it all became about who she shows her vagina to. And not what wow. she did with the vagina. She just showed it. <laughs> she just, she was an exhibition. She just flashed. See, you want to see this? But anyway, um, wow. Later on, uh, the happy ending was, uh, was pretty much pre- premature because after the book and the movie and everything, it turned out she had not three, but 20 personalities. And they were later unified. Now, um, uh, Chris Seymour died in 2016. In, uh, but our next, uh, our next, um, where are you? Okay. So, next came out a book in the 1970s called Sybil. It was uh, the name, the, na- the official name of the book was um, Sybil, uh, subtitled The True Story of a Woman Possessed by 16 Separate Personalities. And the woman who was named in the book, Sybil Isabel Dorset, uh, it was the pre- it was written by Flora Rather Schreiber, and Sybil Isabel Do- Dorset was the actually the character, the name of the woman with the sixteen personalities. And the way the story goes, she was blacking out, and she when she was a little girl. One st- one part of the story I remember, she was a little girl, she was in the third grade. And then, all of a sudden, she woke up and she was in the fifth grade. She lost two years. And it was really kind of strange. So, she was wondering why. She went to the psychiatrist named Dr. Cornelia Wilbur. Oh, my. Who was, uh, who used to use these tactics of hypnotism. And in hypnotism, she discovered all these other personalities. And what it turned out is that Sybil had this mother that was, um, I mean, she made Mommy Dearest look nice. Oh. She was, well, she was, she was what 
Dr. Wilbur called schizophrenic. You see, oh, we, we always used to call people with per multiple personality schizophrenic. It's a totally different disorder. Totally too different. Yeah, totally you know, I, different I mean, uh, schizophrenic doesn't have... Uh, well, that that's the problem a lot, and you're bringing up a good point here. I mean, we'll get back to the story in a second. Is, is back in the day, they used to just... Nobody had a good knowledge of mental health, and I mean, it wasn't discussed. It, it's like when you go take a health class, a health education in high school, or even in junior high or whatever. Yeah, they go through, you know, all the venereal diseases and all this other craziness and bullshit mm -hmm. and trying to make sure you wrap your goddamn dick up or, you know, do what you got to do. Yeah. But when it comes to mental health in the house classes, they don't ever truly describe the different mental illnesses well enough so no. that you have an, a concept or understanding of that, which... Honestly, in some cases, it's far more important to know that, you know? Yeah. So anyway, what we doing is, uh, what we talking about, getting back to this lady's story. Yeah. Uh, she, uh, she's, she starts seeing Dr. Wilbur, and Dr. Wilbur's using different uh, hypnotism, and she's recording her. And still in all civil, as we know her right now, doesn't know that she has this condition so, Doctor, um, she had several personalities, and one of them was a child named Peggy Lou. Was she had she held the anger? She was always angry, and then she had another personality that was uh, what was the per one personality's name? My favorite was Vicky. Vicky, that's the one. Vicky was the one. She knew her French too, honey. Oh, and Vicky, Go ahead, Vicky, Vicky. Was, Vicky was the most the most sane of all the personalities. Vicky was holding all the others and together. Then, and then she had one of them um, that was more sexual, and some of them were, were some of them were boys and, and, and yeah. male personalities and everything. So um, Dr. Wilbur recorded all this, and she showed her, she played her Peggy Lou, and when she heard it, she said, "That's my mother's voice." And she went to, she regressed to a child like a toddler, mm -hmm. and went in the corner and sucked her thumb. So wow. they worked through all this, and. Eventually, her her, her personalities were, were reunited, and um, they got the la this lady who was a friend of, named Florida Schreiber, the writer, was a friend. She was an investigative journalist. They they got with her to write this book called Sybil. Now, uh, the book Sybil came out, and it was a huge phenomenal. I mean, it was just a pop culture explosion. Oh yeah, it even it, it it you know they even the the name Sybil's even used to describe crazy women. Yeah, <laughs> look at Sybil over there. You know what I'm saying? And uh, you ever heard anybody say that? <laughs> yep. And it was you know it, it became. I got called Sybil one time. By you the did? Way. By who? <laughs> I'm not gonna call them out. They're still around. Oh. Oh, I think I know who you talk. Yeah, about. yeah. Leave it. Yeah, let's leave that alone. Is it like did this person at one time live in your house? Fifth Amendment. I, let, let's just yeah. Let yeah. I don't want to give nothing to give anything okay. away. Yeah, I know who it is. I think it's the one you don't. I'll like. own it though. I'll own it. So anyway, um, of course you know Hollywood calls and a move TV movie was made. Starring Joanne Woodward as Dr. Wilbur, who had played Eve, the first place, Three Faces. You gotta love Eve. Joanne Woodward. And Sally Field played Sybil, and it was Sally Field's first big, deep, dramatic role, and she won an Emmy. And that led to things like Norma Ray and Places in the Heart, and turned Sally Field into a respectable actress. 
because she did a really good job in that show. Because everybody oh, thought she, she was a flying nun at that point, you know. They thought she was still Gidget and the flying nun. So um, there have been some retractions, and later, in the late '90s, this uh, the lady who Sybil her her name actually turned out it became public. Her name was Shirley uh, Ardell Mason. And Shirley Mason died in 1998. And before that, uh, Dr. Wilbur had died, and so had Florence Shriver. And there was some uh, controversy about this. Uh, some people said that um, they, they challenged uh, Shirley Mason's diagnosis. Uh, mm. Some of them thought that she was a hysteric. And there were those who said that some of the audio tapes and and hypnotism that uh, Dr. Cornelia Wilbur used were considered to be that maybe they suggest she she pushed her into believing she was multiple personality. Yeah, I've heard that as well. Because after this came out, it became a phenomenon, and it actually got stuck to get recognized by the um, the American Psychiatric Association as an actual disorder. And um, my, you, you know, my, uh, my late partner was a psychiatric counselor. He had, he, or he had been, he, was, he retired when he was after 20 years. And he uh, told me that one of the reason, one of the things about um, multiple personality as they called it, was that a lot of people had had the disorder, borderline personality disorder which is a hysteric kind of thing, which is, I think, what they were accusing uh, Shirley of being, they would invent other personalities for attention. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that it's not a true thing and that it doesn't really happen. But it started happening more and more and more and more. And there are several people who came out and said that they were... They were suggested and, and, and led to believe that they were, they were multiples, as they called them back then. Well, the multiple yeah. personality disorder name got such a stigma that that's why they turned it into a disassociative identity disorder. And um, so uh, Shirley went on to become very, very close to Do Dr. Wilbur. And uh, Dr. Wilbur... Uh, when, when Dr. Wilbur got cancer, got sick, Shirley too was the one who took care of her. And um, and then Florida Rather Shriver also died of cancer, I believe, in 1989. Let me check that to make sure that's correct. 1988, I'm sorry. Okay. But um, Flora died first before any of them. And uh, Dr. Wilbur, when did Dr. Wilbur die? It was in the early 90s, I think, believe, at some time, point. They uh, said that um, uh, Shirley, Shirley was diagnosed with breast cancer in 1990, but it went to remission. And then the following year, she, uh, Dr. Wilbur got Parkinson's disease. And Shirley took care of Dr. Wilbur until her death in 1992. And then Shirley, she was a devout seven-day Adventist. It was her, um, and when her breast cancer returned, she gave away her books and paintings to friends. And she left the rest of her state, her estate, to her minister. And she died on February 26, 1998. Now, since then, a new book has come out a few years ago, and it's up in here. It's uh, written by Debbie Nathan, 
It's called Civil Exposed. And it draws upon an archive of this, uh, this doctor's papers that was still, uh, you know, that was stored at the um, John Jay College of Criminal Justice. And Nathan claims that Wilbur, Mason, and Schreiber knowingly perpetrated the fraud. Mm. And describes the perpetrated manipulation of Wilbur by Mason and vice versa. And that the case was created an industry of repressed memory. Mm. Now, Nate, I, I'm going to tell you, I read Nathan's book and I'm going to give you my take on it. Uh, Nathan also uh, hypnotizes, uh, hypothesizes that Mason's physical and sensory issues may have been due to an untreated perniculous anemia. You ever heard of that? It's a symptom of which were Oh, that sounds like an actual uh, physical condition. Yeah, and she noted that after Mason was treated with calves liver supplements for chronic blood disorders as a child and a young woman, her psychological symptoms okay, well, that, went into remission. Okay, you, well, you bring up a point since you're on it. Yeah, like we do know now anemia, which can result sometimes in a lack of oxygen in the blood, has been known, and we also know other disorders that have lack of oxygen in the brain. It's quite possible, yeah, there are delusions and things that can happen. Okay, well, I read... I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that, that's possible. I read Debbie Nathan's book, and Debbie, if you're listening, no offense, but I think you have an axe to grind. I felt as though there was something personal she had against Cornelia Wilbur. She never refers to her as Dr. Wilbur. She always refers to her as Connie. She makes some really snarky remarks about Floretta Schreiber's weight... And her, you know, the fact that she was unattractive. And it just seemed as though it was so mean-spirited. She, you, you would really think she hates these women. Hmm. And I can't think of any reason why she would hate them if she didn't really know them. Well, before you fully get into that, I was going to finish it on the thing and say the only thing that's odd, though, about the physical condition, if it is having to deal, if, if I'm getting this correct... I mean, I'm not, I'm not totally familiar with the illness, but you're just saying you need, if there is a lack of oxygen. From what we know, I've never really heard of that with causing a thing of where we would see disorders unless the person had previously had uh, some kind of multiple personality or dissociative thing. Because usually with lack of oxygen, you have more regressive behaviors. Mm -hmm. It's what we see in, like, Alzheimer's dementia patients. And this girl was very timid. So, yeah, so... <laughs> So, um, and when she was describing, her book is basically almost a, a word-for-word -word plagiarism of Flora's book. And, um, but she tends to sugarcoat the mother. And there were people who knew them that said that the mother was really, you know, she was really crazy. And... She's trying to make it like there really wasn't any abuse, and this girl was just trying to get attention and everything like that. And like I said, she seems as though she had an axe to grind. Now, a few years later, a lady probably named, did. A lady I mean, named Nancy Preston published a book called After Sybil, and it's a personal memoir which includes uh, facsimile reproductions of Mason's personal letters to her, along with color plates of her paintings. And according to Preston, Mason taught art at Ohio's Rio Grande College, where Preston was a student, and the two became close friends and corresponded 
until a few days before Mason's death. Yes. In the letters, Mason claimed that she did have multiple personalities. She never, well, um, she, 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 she never said, she never came out and said, okay, I was making it all up. Well, I'm also, I'm just trying to play with, I'm trying to really think through this, like, because you're having me, like, you just brought up this medical thing. I missed that point when you, the only other thing I'm thinking of is possible is the frontal lobe holds a lot of personality. Yeah. Right? Right. And that still means it was a mental illness. So even if she's talking about the possibility of anemia, there's a possibility, because we do see in later stage, Alzheimer's or dementia, we do see personalities do change. Not just they regress, they change. But that has to be like a severe amount of oxygen things. We also know, um, what was the name of the guy? My brain is, my own, oh gosh, baby, I'm having issues right now. Uh, you know the one that had the bead go through, was it Phineas or what was his name? You know the one his personality totally changed when he got pierced by the pipe or whatever went through his brain in the mm-hmm. frontal lobe? Billy Milligan or something? Fini- Phineas something, I thought it was. Well, any, I apologize, people, I should know this, my brain is not on all cylinders. Maybe I had something happen. <laughs> but anyhow, they do know the frontal lobe Lack of oxygen, injury, things can happen that can cause personality changes. The only strange thing is, though, is this idea, and this is where I think you might be right on the axe to grind, is how could this... To actually, unless the person themselves created or really had some plan or backdoor deal with the patient like the like the psychiatrist or the psychologist had it with the patient or the patient themselves was creating it themselves it's really it's very not very much likely so i'm it's hard to know i mean i mean it's really hard to know and in in her claim that it was from an illness that means it still was a mental health even if it resulted from a physical because we know most mental health is biochemical or biophysical, some kind of change. Yeah. I, it's like, um, another thing I don't understand is... Okay. I think the Sybil exposed, you're right, was just throwing... This is somebody trying to make a name for themselves, uh, and, going on the coattails Well, first of all, she did this. The book is almost... I, I mean, it's, it's almost a plagiarism. It's almost a word-for-word account, only with her little spin on. And I'm sorry, I, I don't, I didn't say it was a plagiarism, I said it almost seems like one. Because if Debbie Nathan is listening right now, I don't need any lawsuits. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Lord. But anyway, no, I'm not saying that you're a plagiarist, Ms. Nathan, don't worry. But I am saying that it sounded like you had an axe to grind, and it seemed, and if you read, you go to, to the Amazon page, you read the reviews of the book, I'm not the only person who thinks that. Just yeah. let anybody who's and, read and, it and here I'm, so. And I'm trying to think of it on a medical sense. I'm trying to give you a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, but I feel like the angle you may have taken, and I'll be honest, I haven't fully read the books. So I'm going off of what Barry is telling me, and I'm trying to use what I know and I'm not saying I'm a medical expert or anything, but I'm trying to use the knowledge I do have of some things which... Of course, if Debbie wants to hear this podcast, she has to buy a Patron. Exactly, <laughs> bitch. So, <laughs> no, uh, wait, I, I just, when I read that, I said, this woman, first of all, she's writing almost a verbatim account of this, and then she's going to... Um, and then, and then she's, you know, she's trying to debunk this. And why does she wait until everybody was dead to write this? Yeah, because then you have no one 
You have no these one women are all it. dead, so they can't they, See, don't have, they can't uh, defend themselves. Literary wise, I'm gonna call it. I will say this much: you can't sue me for this. Literary wise, I think is it's an opinion. I think you're a coward. <laughs> if you thought there was something to have written and you were alive while she was alive, then you should have done. Well, she it. She was born in 1950, so she could have done it any time. Exactly. So you should have done it before, before Shirley died in 1998. That's all I'm saying. If you really had the balls, you would have done it when somebody was living. Yeah. The and literary balls. Yeah, and it's just, and then the other lady that was friends with um, with Shirley. Later on, and this is, well, this is a funny thing that that I learned from that book. Shirley's favorite TV show was that British sitcom called um, uh, Keeping Up Appearances. Keeping Up Appearances. Yes. That's it. Yes. I couldn't grasp that title. And that that show is Miss Bucket about yeah bouquet. about yeah about uh, Hyacinth Bouquet is the main character, and she's always trying to it's be bucket. something she's not. It's she's actually a woman from a working class background, and she tries it. to make like she's this classy woman. That's still one of the best. And she, yeah, her comedy. name's Bucket, and she uses she pronounces it Bouquet. And I'm thinking oh, like, know. okay, you know, uh, it's funny this woman who's accused of being a fraud. Her favorite TV show is about a fraud. Yeah, really. And I mean, it's not to say that there may not have been. No, she probably just, I mean, the show is funny, you know? The show is good. The show is good. That was one of her her great pleasures when she was dying. Yeah. You know, it's something she enjoyed watching when she was sick. And, you know, I mean, she's, you know, she, you know, she died. uh, her, Her mom also, you know, there's cancer in her family. Her mother had died of cancer and. Yeah. Hmm. And it's like, you know, but, but, um, how old was Shirley when she passed on? We shall see. She was uh, 75. It's just still, you still have some years left when you're 75. My doctor used to say anybody who dies under the age of 75 is dying young. Yeah, because that's right about the average life expectancy. Um, that's the Ruth average. Ruth Gordon and... Um, so, you know, a lot of people go over the average, you know. Uh, well, no, it's actually a little bit less than the average. The average a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's and, a I remember Ruth Gordon and Harold and Maud was talking about one of the funerals they were at. She said he was 80 years old. She said, a good time to pass on. She said, well, 75 is too early, and with 85, yeah. you're marking time. Right. But, of course, today, people are living into their 90s. I mean, Betty White, come on. Well, and in, yeah. in this decade, with the things that are going to come out with genetic engineering, who knows? People are going to live way, way past. Into, uh, yeah. We're going to have what, some super seniors running around here. You might well, even be a super senior, Barry. Well, you know what? Ooh. According to my state of health, and if I, if I continue to, to you know, do my preventive medicines and everything like that, a man my age can hope to live to be 86. That's what I said. Okay. I read somewhere. And so, I mean, that's that's not too bad. I could live with that. But, uh, yeah, and um, so, you know, it, it, it's just, I just don't, I found that that woman seemed to have, like you said, like I said earlier, an axe to grind. It's almost, I don't know what she had against these women and why she, she comes out and writes this book. I mean, she wrote this book in 2011, which is like, uh, what, 12, 13 years after Shirley's death. Yeah. None of the, none of these none of them alive. They can't defend themselves. So you know, if you're listening, Debbie, thank you for the patron. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have to say about this. 
Now, how do you feel about this? Do you think this illness is a fraud, or do you think it's real, or what? There's so many accounts. I mean, I could see where somebody would do it for attention, but in, in, but I could also see where this is very real. And and, and here's the other. It's a lot of times, and I think that's why I understand why now the name changed to dissociative, because a lot of times we do know young kids that go into trauma have to dissociate. It's because that they're trying to get past that trauma. Yeah. Now, other... This is when we're talking about a lot smaller children. This is happens to young, way younger kids. We're talking about this could happen to kids. We're talking about like toddlers, small children. Once you get to older kids and teenagers, less likely, I would think, um, because of the factor that it usually the trauma will lend at that time more into say anxiety disorders, um, other other kinds of illnesses. I mean, I'll be honest. I actually dealt with, um, and we will we'll be bringing this up later in another bonus episode, but I'll bring it up a little bit now since it does relate to this. I actually dealt with, in my older kid, teenagers, I dealt with molestation. Yeah. And the thing is, is it, it has resulted into some of my anxiety disorders. They said the trauma that happened has resulted in some of some of that, which I will probably never get past. And I'm going to tell you, there's there are some um, when you're a little kid, somebody doing something sexual. Or an, another thing that her parents used to have sex when she was in the room, when she was a little girl sleeping in a in a crib or something, when she was old enough to see it, and that could be really creepy to look at. Like I'm going to tell you, when I was 13. My mom had a neighbor woman babysitters, and um, we we spent the night. We slept there because she was going out late at night. She she lived across the street from us, and we went over there. And she put us to bed in the bunk bed on the bottom bunk, and her husband slept in the top bunk. And she had a teenage daughter slept with her, I guess, because I was sleep- we were sleeping in her room, and he was on the top bunk. And she performed also on this man while we were in the room. This is an old, these were older uh, couple when they were in their 50s, which to people today they look more like, they would be more comparable to people in their 70s today. And I guess she thought we were sleeping. And I'm like, I really got this creeped. I told my mom about it. And my mom, you know, tried, well, are you sure that she was doing, you doing that? Maybe she was just nuzzling his toes. I said, no. Maybe she was kissing him. I said, her head wasn't by his mouth. So years. <laughs> so so we ne- uh, needless to say, that woman never babysat for us again. <laughs> and my mom didn't say anything about it until years later. And she says, um, Barry, I was like, probably getting in, the, in my 30s, in my late 20s, I think. And she says, what did, I, what did Miss Ida do that upset you so much? I said, she'd go perform oral sex on her husband right in front of me. I knew it was something like that. She said, I said, well, why didn't you say anything to me? And, I, and she never spoke to the woman again. 
she wouldn't have anything to do with her anymore. So she believed me, but I guess it was so unbelievable if she really went to this woman, that especially back then, you know, we talk in early 1970s, late 1960s, that was just unthinkable. Well, I mean, can't get into the full details of what happened to me, but what I can do is I want to give that it is very possible to have altered perceptions. Being that I was an older child teenager, my altered perceptions lend into unwarranted fears, things those things are still real for me in my brain. You understand? So yeah. the trauma is still real to me, even if even if the catalyst, the person, nothing else is going on. Yeah. It's still real in my brain what happened. And then something did actually happen, but the, the, the trauma replaying itself yeah. years later. I can't imagine for a small child to go through that. Yeah. Well, I wasn't a small child. I was... No, no, no. But I'm talking about for the case we're talking about. For, yeah. Oh, hurry. I was she dealt, she dealt like much that. younger. I mean, that freaked and, me out. And I was, I was 13, and it freaked me out. And I'm that. feeling for a small child and their development, the dissociation wouldn't just be a simple anxiety. It would be this idea of creating a personality to move on or creating things that you need to do to get get by which is different than say an older child or teenager in my case whatever but it's still an altered perception yeah it's actually more intense for a smaller child because they have to find a way to get through that yeah and so they start creating these heroes these villains all these little things like talk talk to a child just normally that hasn't gone through that they have an imagination that's insane yeah oh i had we all have an imaginary playmate well, the big console TV we had when I was a kid had a little thing that, that it was a little emblem on the side of it that looked like a door. And I used to talk to Mrs. Carter, the lady that played me, that <laughs> lived in the TV. But I don't know where I got the name Mrs. Carter from. But, but imagine this young girl went through this, that eventually became a woman, but she went through this as a young child. She had to create these parts of herself, things where, or create things there and become that, to try to become... In her mind, there's, it's so weird. You become sort of your own hero and your own villain because you couldn't get, you feel like there's this thing where you blame yourself because you couldn't get out the situation. Mm -hmm. But then there's this other thing where you think, okay, I'm going to try to pull myself out. You live with it for the rest of your life. Well, you never a, overcome it. It that. wasn't only sexual things that her mother did to her. Some, she would give her an anima and... Oh, physical trauma as well is just as bad. Well, she, she would I give mean, this girl an anima and make her hold her water. And if she, if, you know, she accidentally, if, if it went through, because you know how an anima... Well, that's is. all still trauma. Trauma she, of any form She would beat her if, she, you know, if, if the water came out before she, was, she wanted it to. Uh, she used to tie her to the piano and play really loud. She said it was to give her an appreciation of music. The woman was crazy. And she even went, at one point, she went into a catatonic state to where the, the, the mother went into a catatonic state and wouldn't, um, and wouldn't speak anything. And it was like several months. And she, the girl said that was the most peaceful time of her life. And they were out playing in the snow. And all of a sudden, she heard her mother's laugh, her mother laugh. And she was on a sled coming down. And she said there was just that feeling of dread when she came back. In that kind of state. So, so I can't see where any of this, well, how this woman can say that they're perpetrating this fraud and everything like that. And she also tried to sugarcoat the mother. 
You see, and that's just, I don't know. I think it, I, 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 to be honest with you, I think it's terrible. Yeah, I mean, it's just. It's terrible. Yeah. So, yeah. So, anyway, there never was any controversy about, uh, about, uh, Christine Size. There never was any controversy about Christine Sizemore, except for the fact that she didn't stop at three personalities. She wound up having 20. And uh, there was another one. Billy Milligan was another uh, split personality guy. And one of his personalities was a rapist. And uh, Dr. Wilbur worked on that case, too. But, um, Floretta Schreiber, before she died, wrote another um, book about a man that wound up becoming a serial killer. It was a shoemaker. And what was this man's name? Let me see. I know it's, I got it right here. I know it, I know it's right here. I know it, I know it, I know it. Ah, there she is. Ah, Florida Shark, okay. It was called The Shoemaker was the name of her book, and it was about a, um, Joseph Cowling. He was a, a serial killer with paranoid schizophrenia, and he used to see, this book, this book was really, really disturbing, because his, he and his son would murder people, and he murdered one of his other sons, mm. and there was a little boy playing at the pool and they took they took him into um they had this device he used to use to to cut the leather and they anally raped this little boy and cut his penis off and he kept the penis mm, 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 mm. Mm, mm, and that was the last mm, thing mm, she wrote after that mm, mm. oh and I, 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 yeah I, i'm sorry i even told you that because it's it was when i read it it was so disturbing you know and um a man's name was, was he, uh, Joseph Callinger. And he died in 1996. So anyway, yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I, I think that uh, DID is a real disorder. And I really do. I believe I, I believe Shirley. Yeah, I mean. I believe Shirley and Dr. Will. And it seems him. like it seems like Shirley didn't even have anyone on her side when she was small. No, because the father just would turn right. a blind eye, and that's and there were cousins and the thing and, and people that he, actually Debbie talked to some cousins that said that abuse was true. See, at least, and even after that, she's still trying to, to say it. You know, and this is important for the listeners out there. If 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 there is a child out there that is known for going through this, someone maybe in your family or whatever, try to become that person that they can feel confident with, that they can feel, that they can talk to, that that will get them the help, believe them because you don't realize the benefit you may have for down the road. We are going to give everything. Not being believed, not feeling as if someone's there for you, or even feeling like people are that you trusted or against you is not a good feeling. And I don't feel like Shirley had that when she was young. It doesn't seem like she did. No. She got that later through the Dr. Wilbur. Yeah, and I think it's just actually kind of shitty. And at that point, what 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 could really happen? I mean, is I mean there's the longer time goes on by, the less effective help is on the trauma. Yeah, 
trying to find the child uh, abuse hotline. I know it gets confusing because you have different ones per state or whatever. So, yeah. I mean, it, Barry's trying to look for, but yeah. if if you do know whatever state you're in or whatever country you're in, there should be hotlines. Right. Anything that's look child them up, protective services. Google them and Just call Google the child yeah. protective services. If you suspect any child is being sexually or physically, or physically abused. A lot of, if you're a teacher in the school and you see a kid coming around with a lot of black eyes and he doesn't get any fights very much on this, it's a good chance that somebody in his household is doing that. If you, um, when you know, know, see the signs, know the signs, learn the signs. Yeah, there's also ver some verbal abuse is also now being considered too. Well, I know that they're um, considering some of that now in the realm of I, abuse. I know that nobody wants to accuse an innocent person, but I would rather have an innocent person. I would rather have an innocent person be found innocent and have you know investigated and found innocent than have a guilty person get away with it. Yeah. I really would. So anyway, that was our bonus episode on multiple personality disorder or dissociative identity disorder. We're gonna be doing a couple of boardies. Our next uh, our next series is gonna be called Shady Ladies, the Madams of New and uh, then we're we also going to have bonus episodes during that series. Uh, the, the history of Storyville and the history, you know, some of the, a little bit of the history of prostitution itself. We're also going to do a little bit on pornography and how it went from dirty pictures and dirty books to, you know, the Internet. <laughs> and we'll also even look a little bit maybe at the future of what might be. Yeah, it, it's it, it's it's. I don't want to get into it too much. No, not yet, not yet. But but anyway, so our patrons, you guys, we love you because if you hear this, we know you spent some money. Thank you. We really appreciate. And we really that. are trying to get a new laptop. So tell your friends, and they can listen to to episodes like this one. So in the meantime, enjoy the view from the open shutters. But don't fall out the window. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.